you guys. I'm live on air in the States right now, doing the reading on Internet Radio. Recorded live. So this is going to be an hour. All right. This is Beyond Reality Paranormal Talk Radio. I'm Evan Jensen, and with us today, of course, we have Jan Reynolds and also Kelly Griffin and a lot of other people that are either in queue or listening to the show. Um, today we interview uh, horror author James Hershey Jr., um, and we're going to be talking a lot about our dreams, what we dream, and he's going to tell us a little bit about how he's interpreted the dreams that he has and put them to work inside his novels. Um, he's recently just released a new novel, and he'll be talking about that as well. So welcome to the show, first of all, Jan and Kelly, and also let's welcome Hershey Jr. Thank you, brother. Hey, you're more than welcome. It's a pleasure having you on again. I enjoy listening to what you do. I had made a promise to you a couple of weeks ago to get you on and so we can talk about your new book, and uh, that kind of fell through. You know, during that time, I had some issues going on I had to take care of, and uh, but now that we're back on track, you know, I wanted to get you back on and, and leave off where we left off um, with that prior show that we were going to do. And I know you came out with a new book, and people have been asking, you know, what it's about and, and so forth. So, um, yeah, man, you got the floor. Welcome to Beyond Reality Paranormal Talk Radio. Again, it is a pleasure having you all on. Thank you, brother. Uh, the new book is called The Rise of the Revenant. It is the third book in the Legion series. Um, the first book, of course, I Am Legion, which everybody knows about. Um, the second book of the series was The Surrogate of Souls, and this is the third, The Rise of the Revenant. Um, if you follow the Legion series, then you know that at the end of the first book, it leads off, and then the second book picks up exactly where the first book left off. And then the third book does the same thing. It picks up right at the end of the second, or the third, yeah, the second book. And basically what happens in this one is Legion escapes hell at the end of the second book, and he gets in back to Earth. And Heather and Darian have to track him down because he's, he's trying to destroy all mankind at this point because he's so angry with God and everything. And so this book is all about um, that adventure trying to stop Legion who releases a super virus on the earth, which turns the population of a city into basically zombies because it's a, a genetically modified version of the rabies virus. And so that's what, what the third book is, is basically about. So how, how long did it take you to, you know, how many dreams did it take for you to come up with this idea and so forth? What, did it just come to you in one dream or a series or a period of time? Uh, these dreams, the Legion series, was my longest set of dreams I've ever had. Um, you, in our first show together, we talked about how when I was a child, I used to have these nightmares over and over and over again. And I, and for years, I couldn't figure out how to make them stop. Um, those nightmares were the Legion series. The three books are made up of all of the years of nightmares that I had of the Legion series before I moved on to a different set of nightmares. Um, I've been more pushed and driven to complete this series than any other book I've ever done. It's one of them things where I just get kind of pulled from whatever I'm doing, and I just feel like I have to write. I have to get to my computer and work. 
and I will sit there for hour after hour after hour just typing, and sometimes all the way into the middle of the night, and I don't get a lot of sleep, and so I'm really, really happy and really, really sad at the same time that, that I'm finally finished with the Legion series. Now, that being said, I have a whole lot more. I mean, there's like 30 books at least in my dream journals of different stuff that I'm going to be writing. But this one, this one had to be done. I mean, I took a break between uh, I Am Legion and Surrogate of Souls to write the novel Call the Wind Spirits. And I wanted to do that because I wanted to kind of break it up and not just do Legion. But I kind of paid for it because the whole time I was writing Call the Wind Spirits, Legion was pulling me, man. It was, it was, it was calling to me, and it was really working me. And I had to get back to writing it. So I wrote Surrogate, and then right after I wrote Surrogate, I went directly into uh, Revenant and yeah. just put it all out. Yeah, that's kind of cool, you know. And, and I always get messages from people and everything, you know, and they talk about their dreams they've had or they've had nightmares and things like that. And uh, it's, it's really cool that, you know, you can put these things in a sequence. And the fact that you're making a journal and you keep a journal of the dream sequences is probably – why you're able to put it to work for you later on. Um, and, you know, it's really it's an amazing thing. Um, I'm afraid what would happen if I'm in a journal of my dreams. I've had some pretty bizarre... I had one dream, Jim. To be honest, I, I, the devil was after me. I mean, I don't think it gets any worse than that. I, I was on this lonely road, and, and the devil was after me. Um, I mean, I just popped out. I'm wearing, like, a suit and stuff. Well, you know, it was strange and bizarre because my family members were all involved. And they had all, like, turned against me. And here I am just walking down this road with the devil after me wearing a suit. And I don't wear a suit, James. I don't even have a suit anymore. <laughs> so, you know, it's just pretty strange, no doubt about that. Um, and, I, and I did a lot of research in the past on cognitive dreaming and, and you know, uh, sleep analysis and, and things like that. And, you know, it's amazing how your subconscious um, takes over and everything. And, and while you're getting, you know, rest and everything, at the same time, you're living these events. It's it's real to you. You know, you're going through sequences. And, you know, sometimes you don't remember your dreams, but there are many that you do. Um, so, you know, it's really fascinating, actually. And there's not too many authors I can think of that do this kind of work. So it's, uh, it's always a pleasure to hear about, you know, your stuff that you're doing and, and your writing and, you know, so uh, I just found it an amazing topic. Um, and and I know you hit the, you yeah, hit the nail right on the head when you were talking about how how they're real to me, they're, they're vivid, because I believe that there's a lot of power in your dreams. I believe that when you're asleep, your subconscious is susceptible to all kinds of different things. I believe that that's a time when spirits can reach out to you and they can really contact you and, and, and bring you messages. And I feel this isn't just nightmares that I have and I say, hey, that's a cool idea for a story. Let me put that down. This is something that comes night after night after night, and if I don't write these down, they keep coming. The only way to stop them is to write them. And I feel when I'm writing the novel itself that it's not really me writing it. Something takes over me. I get a feeling that it's a compulsion that I have to write. There's, it's almost like I'm a drug addict and I have to have that drug 
but it's not a really a conscious choice on my part. I feel like I'm being pulled, like I have to do it. And then I sit down and I write, and it just takes over, and the words just flow. And I experience my novels the same way my readers experience my novels because I don't know what's going to happen next. I've had the dream, so I have the basic outline, the skeleton of it. You know what I mean? But, but the yeah. flesh and the guts get filled out while I'm writing it, and I have no idea what's going to happen half the time. So when something happens in my novels that makes my readers go, oh, my God, or oh, I can't believe that just happened, I feel that too. I experience it the exact same way. I'm, I'm thrown for loops all the time in my writing, and I, I have no idea what's coming. And it, it shocks me. I mean, my favorite story to tell is when I was writing Call the Wind Spirits, there's a point in that book which if you haven't read that book, everybody, really check it out because it is a powerful, powerfully emotional book. There was a point in that book when I was writing it that I was so overcome, I could feel the, the pain and the sorrow and the, the, the agony that the characters were going through. And I was so overcome in that point of the book that I literally just started bawling. I mean, just tears rolling down my face to the point where I couldn't even see the screen anymore. And I just had to shut my computer and stop writing for the day because I was just I was just destroyed emotionally. And so these things are not just just regular dreams like like normal people would have to me. It's it's like I'm there. I'm experiencing my novels in my dreams. I'm experiencing it like I'm in the room. I can smell the blood. I can feel the temperature of the room. It's, everything is real. And then when I sit down and write it, like I said, something just kind of takes over, and I just write. And I don't ever plan to write. I don't ever plan like I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write for two hours today because I've got to get this certain word count, otherwise I'm not going to hit my deadline. It doesn't work like that at all for me. I feel like I must write. I'm pulled. I'm compelled. I have to do it. And I get to my computer, or if I'm out on the road somewhere, I will pull over on the side of the road and pick up my phone because I have word on my phone as well, and I'll just start writing. And I can't stop until whatever it is that makes me do this lets me go. So literally I will write either for a couple minutes or several, several hours. It all depends on whatever it is, inspiration, uh, whatever it is that does this. It, it all depends on when they're willing to let me go so that I can go back to regular life. Yeah. That, yeah. that is so interesting. I had a question um for James, I had a nightmare recently. It was one of the most real things I have ever experienced. And I was talking to my daughter about it this morning. We were talking about you coming on the show. And um, we wanted to ask you about this. Okay. She's in nursing school. And there's a theory out there that dreams last for a maximum of 30 seconds. And I thought, you know, is it? do we just get a ping, like a little ping of light that's that's understood and then our brain completely, you know, fills in the story or just understands or, you know, I don't know about that theory because I know the nightmare I had just went on and on and on and on. And I don't know if that's me being creative or if it was just a, you know, like a ray of light, ping, there it is. And then you just grasp it. What do you think about that? I think the answer to that lies in the idea that time is relative. Um, you know when you're having a really good day and time seems to just fly by, but then when you're doing something you really don't want to be doing, it seems to take forever. It just passes so slowly. If dreams do indeed last 30 seconds, I don't know whether they do or not. To me, it seems like they last a hell of a lot longer. But if that is true, 
then maybe it's, the time is, is relative in our mind. Um, right. Dreams, to, for most people, I would imagine dreams being like a TV show or a movie they're watching. You're laying in your bed, you're asleep, and you may be in the movie, but it's still a movie. You know what I mean? It, it, mm-hmm. It's not real. For me, it's almost like you're watching a movie, and then all of a sudden you're pulled into the movie, and you find yourself in that scene. But you're not in it as an observer. You're in it. You're there. Right. You can feel everything. You can smell everything. You can touch. You can taste. You can hear. And so I don't know if they only last 30 seconds or if they last a lot longer. They seem to last a lot longer, but the mind is a strange, strange thing. And it can it can really mess with time. It can mess with everything for you. Yes. Yes, it can. And, you know, we were talking about... Um, well, Lauren has had nightmares her entire life, and I have too. I've also written songs, as we've discussed, um, we've talked before. And so I know that writing process that pulls you, it's just, it's so amazing for me to hear your story about, you know, how you get that urge. Because as a writer, sometimes you do get that urge. But she's going to start keeping journals, and I'm going to start keeping journals just because we were discussing your, you know, your situation. And I think... Yeah, I think it's just such an interesting thing. And people can learn a lot from themselves, about themselves, from keeping journals. Oh, absolutely. We, we forget it. So. And the weird, the funny thing is, like, for those of you that have read Legion, you know the three main characters in the trilogy is Heather, Darian, which are the serial killer couple, and then Legion, which is the demigod demon. Um, these three characters have been with me since I was a child. They've always been there. I don't want to say they're like another personality because that's not it at all, but I can always feel them. They're always there with me. Through my whole life, they've been there. And when I finished uh, Revenant, the last book, it's like a weight just lifted off. They're gone, you know? And And in a way, it's a relief because it's finally done. Whatever it is that needed to get written is written. It's done. I don't have to worry anymore about that. They, Whatever message they wanted is, is across. But in a way, it's also really sad because it's like, you know when you have a bad tooth and you're always messing with that tooth with your with your tongue and then you get that tooth pulled out and then that pain isn't there anymore, but you keep uh-huh. putting your tongue in that hole? It, it's kind of the same thing. Now, there's, I have, like I said, I have a lot of different nightmare uh, dreams that I've written down, a lot of different characters that are with me. So it's not like these were the only ones, but these were, were definitely a major part of my life since, as long as I can remember, really, when I started having the dreams, I was a real little child. So for, for pretty much my entire life, and I'm 41 now, these characters have been there in my mind and, and, and with me. That is so interesting. Um, I had a dream the other night, um, that a demon came to me and showed me who he was and showed me his story. And it was so very sad because he was telling me why he was a demon. He was explaining he was born blind and his mother stubbed his eyes together in the 1800s. I was like, Where did, <laughs> who comes up with that? How, how could I possibly even think of that? Because I was horrified, absolutely horrified. But I felt I had just had a, a connection you know, he didn't say anything. He just showed me, and I could feel it. I could feel his pain, and it was it was just so disturbing. So that's interesting that you think maybe there are characters that 
come to us or or need something. Yeah, because I think um, I don't think that that ghosts are in a different place. I think ghosts are in a different dimension. I think that the the, the dimension that they are in the afterlife is only separated by to our dimension by just a very very thin uh, barrier. And I think possibly when you go to sleep, your subconscious mind is what is active then, not your conscious mind. So I think somehow that lowers the guard there a little bit. I think they're able to cross through. You know, that's why a lot of times people will say they have a loved one that has died and they they uh, visit them in their dreams and it's like they're talking to their grandma or grandpa or mom or dad or whatever. It's like they're really there with them and they're talking to them. And it's like... You know, they knew things that they could never know and all this kind of stuff I've heard. And I think I think there's something there. I mean, I'm not an expert, and I'll leave all of this to the experts in the field who are way smarter than I am, but I feel on a visceral level that, that I'm on the right track there. There's something to that to where the afterlife is able to cross over to us in our subconscious when we're asleep. Yeah, it's very possible, James. Very possible. Uh, you know, your subconscious. You know, it's important to kind of know what sometimes what it's telling you through dream interpretation and so on. And uh, I think when we sleep, our subconscious uh, it doesn't need to be the battle with our conscious mind. You know what I'm saying? It, it kind of separates itself. The emotional side it, it's not challenged by our logic, so it's easy for our uh, subconscious to break through the barriers. And I think that's what's happening when you're going through your your dreams that you have and so forth. Um, yeah, and, and the idea the idea is not new. I mean, um, I'm part Cherokee, I'm part Blackfoot. Um, that part of my heritage, they used to get in touch with this side with with their ancestors through sweat lodges. They would go in and they would actually put themselves into a trance through dehydration and through different things. And so they would get to that subconscious part of their mind, and that's how they could communicate with the afterlife and get advice from their ancestors and get, you know, courage and all kinds of different things from there. So that idea has, has been with us for ages. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, I like um, – doing is one of the better ways for the subconscious mind to get your attention. I mean um, – Many people get psychic impressions from their dreams. Others may only dream when being forewarned about a situation, uh, like an omen or something like that. Uh, some people think they they never dream, when in fact, that's part of what we do when we're asleep. We always dream, even though we don't think we've had a dream. You know, the dream state is not always noticeable. So uh, it's kind of it's kind of cool when you can uh, remember your dreams and when you can, you know. Uh, chart and make note of, of the dreams that we do have. I mean, you know, a lot of people have said, James, that in their dreams, their loved ones that have passed, you know, come to them in their dreams and so forth. So you have to wonder if that's a spiritual sort of awakening sort of thing or if that's just a dream interpretation again. Yeah, I really honestly believe. And I, it's more than that I believe. I, I feel like there's something there. I feel like like when when you're seeing a loved one in your dream, there's a there's a very good possibility that you're actually seeing your loved one in your dream. It's not just your mind making up the image that you remember of the person. It's 
you might actually be communicating with that person because that might be a way that they can can reach us. Mm-hmm. And James, have you ever had anyone tell you that in your dream when you're when you're communicating with a loved one? I think the Chinese say that it's you know the goodbye dream that they seem to not speak. It's telepathic, like you just know what they're saying without speaking. I mean, in my instance, in my two instances, I've seen them, and they speak to me, but there's nothing said. It's just an understanding. Have you ever heard anybody say that, or? No, for for me, it's it's like I'm literally dropped into the middle of a room where whatever is happening is happening. It mm-hmm. it feels like I am physically dropped in, and I'm standing right there in that room with these people, and I'm watching what's going on. And I'm like I said, I'm not just an observer because they will turn and look at me and smile. Mm-hmm. They'll give yeah. me a look like, look what I'm doing. You know what I mean? So they know I'm there. I know they're there. I'm watching what's happening. And like a lot of the stuff that we think about dreams or that the experts say about dreams, I don't think they really know because like Kelly was saying, they say dreams only last 30 seconds. They also say dreams are in black and white, that you don't see color in your dreams. But I know I see color in my dreams because otherwise I couldn't describe the colors that were happening in the dreams. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. Is there something that I can add to this? Okay. Sure. Um, so I'm a medium, and I'm Aboriginal descent, and I agree with you on that 100%. And my teachings that I've learned through the years is that dreams are very significant and they're very important. And in our Aboriginal culture, like you were saying, there is significance when you have someone come visit you in a dream. Most often when I'm working with spirit, the easiest form of communication for them is to come to people through dreams because oftentimes people in your waking life, your conscious mind takes over, so then it's harder to reach through. So they come through in a subconscious way through dreams. And you do see color and you do see things. I've been told you can't read in dreams either, but, you know, your mind somehow knows how to make up and understand what's being conveyed. So I always tell people when you have those dreams, you know, you may go to the professionals or people who are able to dream interpret, but my best advice to anybody when you're having dreams is speak to more than one person. Tell them what your dream was about. Remember your emotions and your feelings when you first wake up. And with those two or three different people speak about their answers to your dream, you can take that all in and kind of figure it out for yourself, kind of like a puzzle, you know. So spirit's giving you a puzzle to build and to maybe look at and have an understanding as to what it represents in your waking life, you know. Does that make sense? Yeah, and exactly. for me it feels, like, it feels like they're giving me a story that they want, it, want told. Most definitely. Yeah, that's really what it feels like because – the way I the way I figure it is I have the dreams and then when I write something just takes over me and writes this thing. It's almost like it's writing itself even though I'm the one doing it. And but that's usually what we call a muse. So when we have people such as yourself who are open to spirit world and you're writing a book, um, creating a movie, whatever it is that you're doing in, in media, you do have a muse. You have your spirit guides that work with you and they're bringing in spirit that want to share their story. So it's almost like you're, you're um, what's the word? It's almost like you're communicating and they're communicating through you. And that's why when you said that, you know, it's almost like a drug, like it takes over you and you just, you have to let it flow out. And it's simply because you're channeling that spirit and that spirit is saying, hey, listen, we've got a very talented, open person who is open to spirit. We'd like to communicate and write these things down so they work with you. 
and get you to, you know, motivated to wanting to sit down and writing out all these thoughts and ideas you're getting. But in reality, maybe most of those thoughts and ideas aren't even yours. They're from spirit. Yeah, see, that's what it feels like. It feels like something is pushing me and that it, it has to get whatever story it wants out, out, and that I have to write it. That mm-hmm. I don't have any choice in the matter. Wow, that's beautiful. I love it when people do that. Because, <laughs> you know, it's it's. I would even like to tell you that I believe that you yourself are a very huge sensitive. You're very open. And I'm sure that makes a lot of sense to you. So they'll come and visit and sit with you in dreams. And then in your waking life, as you're doing day-to-day things, it's like you're getting pulled back into that. And, and i got to write this. i got to write this down. So most times when I exactly. sit when I do readings, I'm always encouraging them, please write down your dreams. You know, you may not think it's a big deal today, but a year later you can reflect on it and say, oh, my God, that makes sense, you know? Yep. Yeah, that's really cool. Really cool. Uh, so, James, what do you think the next uh, book that you might be working on would be? Have, have you given us some thought yet? Or? Um, right now I am currently writing the uh, sequel to Call the Wind Spirits. Um, Call the Wind Spirits was about a little girl named Rose Young. She was seven years old, and she was taken in the middle of the night from her home and taken to a cabin up in the mountain by an old man. And she was used basically as food for a wind spirit that fed off her life force. And that's what the first book was about. Well, there's more to that story that I got in, in that series of dreams, and it chronicles her life after that and what she goes through. So that's the book I'm working on right now. And then I have another one that's really, really pushing on the forefront that that I've got to write after I finish this novel. And it, it's going to be a pretty awesome book as well. That's cool. And uh, we were talking about maybe having a <clears throat> write as a ghostwriter uh, for I, I need to get a book story out that I have and <clears throat> I just keep running into barricades, you know, so... It's not that easy writing. Uh, I don't know how you separate your daily life from your writing, but it seems difficult with interruptions and getting busy with your outside life. And so it's really tough, you know, to, to stay on track and end stuff. So i got to give you props on that. It's not an easy chore at all. No, it, it's a very, very hard thing to do, and especially to do it well. To have it, like okay. my novels, from the first page to the last page, you can't put them down. I mean, you are just sucked in, and they are just exciting and amazing and intense the whole way through. And to make a book that is that is good like that, that draws you in, and, and you can't put that thing down until you finish it, that is an almost impossible feat. And I do, like my first year, I published three novels. And this year, I've already got two. And I'm working on another. So I'm going to probably be averaging anywhere from two to four novels a year just because of the way I work. I don't I don't sit down and try to make time to write. It kind of grabs me and makes me do it. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the key, though, know, when, when you're talking about that need to write. You know, as a, as a writer myself, I've told you um, – it, it does control you. I remember driving down the street, something would come to me, and I would have to pull over and just write, 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 write. And my producer asked me one time, how have you had so many life experiences? Back at the time, I was like 35. And how have you had all these life experiences? And I was like, I haven't. 
<laughs> it just writes itself. And it is somebody's experience. I don't know whose it is. Maybe something I've observed or even a movie but or a dream. Lots of them were dreams. But it just it just takes you over. And I really can't wait to see your new series. That's gonna be that's gonna be really interesting as you get more comfortable. Yeah, it gets it gets easier as you go, I find, because you learn, you know. Uh, here's a funny story from the beginning of my writing career. When I first started writing Legion, the first novel, um, it would take me over and I would just write. And I would write all through the afternoon, through the evening, into the wee hours of the night, into the next morning. And the bad thing is I, I don't get prepared before I write because it just overcomes me and I just go. So I don't have all the stuff I need. So I would literally sit there and write, and I wouldn't get up to go to the bathroom. I wouldn't get a drink. I wouldn't do anything. And there was a time when I actually got very dehydrated, and it made me very ill, and I was throwing up, and I had to go to the hospital and get put on IVs because I literally wrote for so long that I didn't drink anything. I didn't eat anything. I didn't do anything but sit there and write. And then I just, when I got done, my head, and I usually have a really bad headache when I'm done anyway, but my head was pounding, and I was just nauseous, and I just felt horrible. And I ended up actually going to the emergency room and getting IVs. Well, whenever you write, do you ever get, I mean, do you have you experienced writer's block yet, or is there just so much information that? Uh, never in my life. I've, I've never had writer's block, and I've never had that moment where you sit there that I've seen in TV and movies where somebody wants to write something, and they sit there, and that cursor is flashing, and they don't know what to put down. I've never had that that problem it's it's almost like word diarrhea when when i when i work because it just flies man it just flows out of me and it never stops until it's time to stop and once it's time to stop i'll just feel like i don't need to write anymore, to write anymore. so i just stop, just stop. <laughs> yeah yeah something you can write I'm actually doing this show in Elkhorn, Iowa. I'm in Ireland. 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 Somebody's yeah, listening to us. Yeah, we need to push mute for the people in queue. Yeah. Okay, that worked. All right. Yeah, that echo was. I was saying, I don't know if anybody heard, but yeah, we're, we're actually live from Elk Rock Island, which is a island that was formed a volcanic eruption that happened around, I want to say, 60 million years ago. So if I get bad reception and things, then you know what's going on there. Oh, you're physically there now, Evan? Yeah. Yeah. So you're going to get a lot of noises, and uh, there's a construction crew at the end, and um, they've got some park people there. It's actually a, a wildlife area refuge, too, but it, it's an amazing place, and the energy is incredible. Um, it's when the Native Americans controlled the island, they would... Uh, they got the name Elk Rock is because when they wanted to, you know, get their food and stuff, they would run the elk off the island, off the cliff, and and then they would drown, and then they would take them by canoe down down the river, down around the river, 
it's got a long history, and before that, uh, there, there was, uh, after that, I guess, there was some kind of brothel there, and there was a murder there, and drugs and partying and, and death and stuff. So there was, there's been a large amount of things going on in the island now. Now it's just, you know, uh, a wildlife park, and it intercepts, it's just right in the middle of the river, but it's accessible here in Milwaukee where you can actually walk to this about a 35-minute walk-in, and it's an amazing place. But you can feel the energy all around you, wherever you go on the island, it's there. You can just feel it. That's interesting. You'll need to take um, your camera and take some pictures and use the recorder. Are you going to do some investigating while you're there? Yeah, I'm going to go uh, either tonight or tomorrow night and actually stay out there. Now, it is normally you can't stay out there late, but I'll call the mayor's office here and tell them that we're going to be out there for a few hours doing what we're doing, and uh, we might be able to go live, but we'll bring the, the camcorder and so on and see if we can get you know, some some EVP type stuff and just see what we can catch. It should be. Wouldn't be surprised if you picked up an English woman with a French background. There's a woman that is actually said uh, to have been French, actually, and she was running a brothel. Um, and then something happened very bad. Something really bad happened, and she was actually murdered on the island. And uh, it's been said that you can still hear her from time to time. Um, and I know I was at about 1 a.m. in the morning, and we didn't get halfway down the trail because the trail, when we got halfway down the trail, we just, I mean, something creeped us out bad. Uh, we, so there's had, another woman that's connected to that with a suicide. So I'd be interested. You pick up any information that would be a suicide there, a female. Could very well be. Uh, it'd be interesting to see, you know, what else we pick up there. But yeah, the island's amazing, and also pictures and stuff of that too. But it, I thought it'd be kind of different to, to try to do a show from there and see how the show goes. So so far, it's not been interrupting or anything like that. The energy has been fairly decent during the day. It's not too bad. At night, for some reason, it picks up. And attitude, and you can feel, you can just feel the energy on the island. And, and most people won't even go to the island after, you know, when it gets dark. They just won't be there. Well, there would be an echoing. So, I mean, if you were to do a radio show from there, I'd be only too happy to do some remote viewing for you. Okay, that sounds like fun. We'll we'll try that. We'll we'll work on that too. Uh, sounds sounds like a plan. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, so anyway, Jen, so you're going to be writing more. You've got more dreams that happen. What What is one of the most violent dreams you have that you haven't uh, written about yet? Um, I, I had this set of dreams about around 10 years ago, and it was a bunch of guys that were about – probably out of school, but not far out of school. They were probably early 20s, something like that. And they went back to their school for like a reunion kind of situation. And so they're in the gym and everything. And I don't know if it was demons. It it seemed to me like demons came and attacked the school. And they were kind of barricaded in the gym. And they were trying to fight their way free 
and everybody who came there to the gym was attacked. Like when people would try to come to help and everything. And it was a very, very chaotic and very crazy, but extremely, extremely violent set of dreams. And it was one of the only set of dreams that I ever had where, I mean, I always wake up kind of sweating and, and kind of freaked out. And I don't know if, if I'm in my bed or if I'm still wherever I was in the dream and if it's real or, or what's going on, I'm kind of confused when I first wake up. But this was the only set of dreams I ever had that when I woke up, I really felt scared. I mean, I, I felt like a sense of doom, like a sense of foreboding, like something really bad was going on, you know? That that feeling when you're when you're alone in the house in the middle of the night and you just, that creepiness comes over you and you can feel it in the back of your neck and down your spine and that just feeling that something's not right. That's the only set of dreams I've ever had that really, really affected me that way. And I've had some horrific dreams. Anybody that's read my books knows this isn't stuff for kids. I mean, this is some horrific stuff. But that set of dreams really shook me up. And maybe that's why I haven't written about them yet. You know, I haven't I haven't well, made a you- novel out of them yet because I don't want to revisit that, really. Yeah, yeah, I heard that. I remember having a dream that, hell, it was awful. Um, it was a weird, bizarre, just nasty, nasty-ass dream. I mean, um, yeah, it, it was, I was in a fight, uh, to save my wife, and my wife was being attacked by something evil, but in the dream, we didn't know what the evil was, and it was just weird, it, 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 most of the time when you have a dream, you kind of know, it gives you a place, you know, you might be in your house, or, you know, whatever, and this dream, there was just nothing, we were like incognito, there was nothing, we were in nothing land, there was just nothing, it was blank. And the only way out was to fight the evil, whatever it was, that was after us. But again, the whole dream was we didn't know what was after us or where we were at, and there was we couldn't see light or anything, and it was just strange. Finally, I woke up about 3.30 in the morning, and, and I'm like, damn, that was nasty. And I told my wife about it. She's like, that's awful. And I'm like, yeah. It was, but I remembered it. It was, it was just bizarre. So there are some really, really strange dreams you can have, you know. And that's not all the time either. Most of the time, you know, we I you know, a lot of my dreams that they're nice and, you know, like one of them I was sitting on this island with my wife in the Philippines and it was, you know, we were talking to family and doing fun things and, and um, so that was a good one. But there are always some weird, you know, just some far out, you know, dreams that you don't forget them, man. They stay with you too. Yeah, see, I've never, I've never had that, Evan. I've never had a dream where I'm like, hey, that was a good dream. That was nice. I was on the beach, and I was hanging out, and it was fun. I, I never had that. My dreams, at least everyone I ever remember every night, they're all horrific. They're all these horror stories that I write. That's what my dreams are every single night of my life. I, I don't know what it's like to have that pleasant dream that people talk about. And they used to talk about it all the time when I was younger, you know. You'd be at school and be like, oh, man, I had the greatest dream last night. I went to this place, and there was all these hot chicks, and they were in bikinis and all this kind of cool stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, really? I, I dreamed about somebody getting beheaded last night. That's wonderful. Well, let me ask you something. Do you think it's possible that maybe, you know, as sensitive as you are, that you're perhaps seeing through someone else's eyes who have passed? Because it's usually uh, how it starts when somebody starts opening up the spirit world. 
maybe they're trying to show you how they passed and they come in their death state or how they, you know, and people wake up going, oh, my God, I dreamt I was murdered or, you know, and what they don't realize is that they were channeling through sleep and through dreams. It kind of, but I don't see through their eyes. It doesn't I don't have feel to be like that I'm the person. Like I'm you're just standing in the beside scene. them and you're watching it. Yeah. Yeah, that's usually when someone is channeling spirit. And like I said before, spirit will try to communicate with you, and the easiest way that they find is when someone's sleeping or usually when you're very, very ill. So it's a 50-50. I mean, like, that's just my take on, like, when I started doing this work about 20 years ago, it started coming in the forms of dreams. And the only way I was able to validate it is that most times when I dreamt of it, it would be on the news days later of, uh, you know, a person who was horrifically murdered by her husband. And it would be details that, you know, they didn't let the public know, but I knew. So it was, it was my way of finding out, like, oh, my God, I'm actually channeling spirit when I'm sleeping. Yeah, I mean, one it would, story it just, really, oh, really sticks well, with the dreams me. that you've had, maybe they were people who've passed, and they're just giving you information on how they went. Yeah, I mean, it, it feels like, like I'm getting a story from them that they want told. I don't know if it's how they passed. I mean, it's, it might be because I was talking on another show with Evan about this, how in Call of the Wind Spirits, there are a lot of things in that book that equate to real life that I had no knowledge of when I wrote the book. I mean, there's a lot of ancient legends in there and a lot of stuff that comes from, like, ancient Sumerian texts and stuff like that that I was told by Evan and other experts that I have no way of knowing. I, I had no idea. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a redneck from the mountains up here in Virginia. I mean, I don't, I don't know all this stuff. And so, in a way, it kind of feels like it, some of it might be something like that because there's knowledge in there that I have no idea of. And, and one story that really sticks with me is, like, the next book I'm writing after the sequel to Call of the Wind Spirits, there was a, it was a kid who lived in a house with his mother, mm-hmm. and he murdered his mother, and he disappeared, and nobody knew where he went. So many years pass, and another family moves into that house. They get it real cheap, and they move in. Well, he lives in that house in a hidden space in one of the closets. He actually lives in the walls of that house, and he watches his family. And all kinds of horrible things happen in this set of dreams. And that's one story that, that felt to me like it was so real, and it, like, it, like it was actually happen, happening or had happened at some point. And so I'm going to be real interested to see how that one turns out when I actually write. I think I might do that one after the sequel to Call of the Wind Spirits. I think that sounds like a movie. That sounds like a movie. Have you ever thought about it? And you know what's interesting is you're saying that most times when you have these dreams, you wake up and you feel disoriented. You feel like you're not sure which is real and that you're very hot. And usually when I have spirit, when I'm doing my, my groups, um, all tend to get really, really hot when spirit's really close or we're trying to channel. So I'd be, I'd be interested to find out if, you know, maybe some of the dreams you've had have happened, you know, and they yes. can go as far back as three, 400 years. And do yes. you get, like, really bad headaches afterwards? Because every time I Migraine write, after migraine. Is, yeah, my head is terrible after I write. Yeah, that's usually when spirit is channeling. They're drawing your energy. So I'm saying, my dear, I think you're sensitive. I think you're very sensitive. You may even be a medium. You know, nobody wakes up the next morning and says, okay, I'm a medium. I know I'm a medium. It's usually through trial and error, and it comes when you're experiencing things like dreams and visions or just the knowing of information. You don't know how you knew this information. 
you know, and then to get that urge to draw or write is their way of trying to communicate. That's just my thoughts. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. You brought up some good concept ideas there for sure. Uh, hey, Jen, I want to get Jen in here a little bit because I know we've been talking a little bit here and, and maybe she's got some questions or she might want to ask Jen some stuff too. Jen, you still there? Oh, yeah, I just took myself off mute, Evan. Yeah. Um, I figured, I figured I maybe you wanted to ask uh, uh, James some things. You know, James, I didn't get the chance to know you personally before tonight. So earlier today, I put on one of your YouTube videos. What was it called? Real Talk. Oh, yeah, the radio um, show we do. Yeah. And <laughs> I thought it was pretty cool because a person can get to know you that way, you know, because you're real down home, you know. <laughs> um, I enjoyed it. I appreciate that. I mean, I don't put on any ears. Like I always say, I'm just a redneck from the mountains, and that's the honest to God truth. I live in the middle of Shenandoah Valley out in the woods. And I have, like, 30 acres. I have orchards here. I hunt deer. So I'm just a normal dude. Wow. So I just can't imagine what it would be like to have these type of dreams every night of my life. It's it's rough, but in a way, it's like I'd never know anything else, you know? Like I said, I, I've never had the good dreams. I don't know what it's like to go to sleep and have a nice, happy, wonderful dream about, you know, you're flying or you're floating or, or you know, hey, you're at the pool all day or whatever people dream about. I, I have no idea what that's like because my entire life has been this every time I close my eyes. Well, wasn't Stephen King's movies and books based on his dreams also? I don't know. Somebody, I think somebody said that at one time, but I don't know if that's true or not. And then this, this like, automatic writing, it's like, who's coming to you to have you write this way? You know? Do you know? I, I really don't. I mean, it's just, it, it kind of just takes me over. I mean, that's the only way I can really describe it. It's not like, you know, somebody comes up and has a conversation with me and then I write down what they, what they say to me. It's, mm-hmm. they, just, they just do it. It just flows right through me. And that, that sounds strange, but that's the only way I can really explain is that's what it feels like. Like, like the information is just flowing and it's, I'm just sitting there typing and I have no idea what I'm going to type next, but it just keeps on coming. Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah. You know, the subconscious is so complex. And, James, when I used to have horrible nightmares, I had reoccurring nightmares, so much so that I went to a psychologist, a dream analyst psychologist. And one of the things he told me was that it's not necessarily the person in your dreams at times. It's the feeling that it gives you. So you have to look past who, what, where, and get the feeling and you take it from there. You know, maybe on the silly dreams are the ones that don't matter, but I can relate with you. I, I don't know that I've ever had really, really great 
dreams, maybe, I can maybe remember, you know, two or three offhand, but most of them are pretty disturbing. And that's, that's what my, that's another theory out there that the psychologists have. But like you said, I'm kind of beginning to believe that <laughs> that doesn't hold much water, but it, it might help to know if you have a silly dream that you relate to the feeling in the dream and what it's trying to say. Yeah, see, science is a funny beast, man. Science is just guesswork in a white coat. That's all it is. Mm -hmm. Because these people don't know what the hell they're talking about most of the time. If you look at, let's look at something that everybody knows about, that everybody loves. Let's look at dinosaurs, okay? Dinosaurs at first were big and scary and scaly and green and they're dinosaurs. And now they say, oh, no, wait, they weren't green and scaly at all. They had feathers and they were more like birds than anything else. And like the T-Rex, who was the granddaddy of all the dinosaurs, he's such a badass. He was supposedly so vicious and so terrible. Well, now come to find out he couldn't even stand up because it would break his back, and they were scavengers, not, not hunters. So, I mean, and, and the serial change next, next year or the year after when something else comes up that they've learned. So it's all just theory. It's all just hypothesis. It's all just guesswork. They don't really because, know anything. And they base this on the brain waves, okay? So but they don't take the soul into consideration. And that's what bothers me about science. They're basing this 30-second theory on what they see physically on a piece of paper, on the brain waves. Well, you, don't, you can't see or gauge what's happening to the soul during those dreams. You don't know um, if you're not just being communicated with. And we're not thinking. We're in a state of unconsciousness. So I agree with you completely. There's been too many people that have, go that have died and come back and have said that they saw things and described the exact same thing all over the world. And, I mean, it's just there's something else out there other than just us. It's not just that you're here, you die, and then that's it. Because if that was the case, there would be no ghosts. And we, a lot of us have seen ghosts. We know ghosts are real. So mm -hmm. if ghosts are real, there has to be some kind of afterlife. If there's some kind of afterlife, that means that if, when we die in our mortal bodies, that's not it. If I can interject, the one thing I always tell people is I say, you ever have a radio that you have plugged in you're listening to? And while the radio is playing, you unplug it. If you notice for a few seconds longer, even though it's unplugged, the radio will still play. So we don't see, you don't see energy, but it turns the radio and it has it on and you can hear it. So it becomes something you can see like the human body. Yep. The human body is the radio. The electricity to that radio is like spirit. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's there. It does exist. It comes from somewhere. Yeah, it does. You know, that's that's the best way I can explain it to people. And I think it's more than just energy, like ghosts. They they have to be more than just energy because they can interact with you. They can talk to you. They can give you messages. They can They can do things. So just pure random energy, like if we die and the energy that's contained in us lives on in some other form, that is not just pure energy because it has rational thought. It can, it can communicate with people. So if it can communicate with people, that means it has a mind, which it can't physically have a mind because it doesn't have a body, but that validates the, the theory of the soul, that there is a soul in each of us that is, is who we actually are. The body is just kind of the meat suit. It's the clothes we put on for a little bit, and then we take them off, and then we're back to what we're supposed to be, which is the soul. Exactly. And when, we've, when I've investigated in the past, James, 
I've had um, I've had um, actual interaction with an intelligent spirit. You know, one that we will ask. Here's a good way to to confirm if there's an intelligent with you on an investigation. When you ask, is there anyone with us? You know, blah blah blah, knock on the wall. But also, if you say, can you tell us somebody's name in this room? And when they reply with your name, you know you have an intelligence. That's, like you said, there, there's more to that that we don't understand but that we know exists. I really believe that. When they're telling you, you know, Kelly is in the room, <laughs> you know you're talking to, it, it's almost like a human being. Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not claiming to have all the answers. You know what I mean? I don't know. But I know that there's something other than what they tell us. I think we we don't even we haven't even scratched the surface in understanding. I can feel that it's just so much bigger than we'll ever understand, and you're never really going to know until you're there yourself. But there's so much more, and I I just keep going back to that feeling that it's it's not another another place that you can physically go to. It's it's just another dimension. You just kind of slide over in, into another dimension, and you're right there. It's like you're on the other side of a pane of glass. You're still right there. We just can't see you anymore, you know? And sometimes that pane of glass is thinner, and you can come through, you know? Or or some part of you can come through. Your voice or your presence or something can come through, can project onto our side of that pane of glass. And I think when you're asleep, your subconscious mind that's why a lot of times when they do hypnosis and stuff like that, I think it's kind of the same thing. Your subconscious mind is more receptive. I think maybe that that lowers that pain a little bit so that the other side can come through and actually communicate with us. Yeah. You know, that, you know, when we're talking about, you know, ghosts and, and stuff like that, you know, man, there's a, there's a term when, when we're talking about disembodied voices and stuff, and I know this is kind of going back and forth on topic, but man, I, I didn't I didn't give it much credence whatsoever, James, until I heard one that I had 100% positive idea on, with no recording, no audio devices, nothing that can trick you, except what I physically heard for myself. It was clear, and I tell you what, when I heard it, I'm like, oh shit, this is real. Um, you know, it was really bizarre, and I didn't give any of these types of recordings or anything, you know, too much credence, but when you hear it for yourself, it kind of makes you wonder, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, I mean, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that that the uh, the afterlife exists, that, that ghosts are real. I mean, because of, of the things that I've experienced my entire life, there's just no doubt at all for me. Yeah, not neither here, I believe. Um, I definitely, I started out as a skeptic, but through the years, just too many different things, you know, I, I mean, from prior investigation work to to just really getting into, more in tune to the paranormal and so forth, and, and, you know, so, yeah, as far as being a believer, I think that's undeniable, um, the things I've witnessed and seen and, um, you know, it is what it is, and I think that's why I like doing radio because I know that there's an afterlife. I, I, you know, I can remember my uh, when my grandmother passed away. I was young and I was living with my mom, 
and in my grandma's house actually at the time and, and um you know, she her spirit remained in that house and so did her grandfather, my grandfather, her her husband. Um I mean, I always tell a story of he had a 1956 Ford Fairlane, and that was his, my grandfather's pride and joy. Well, after my grandfather died, it remained in, in the garage and, you know, there at the house. And, and uh, my grandmother decided to sell it to my uncle, their son. And when he came from Wisconsin to pick it up, now the, this old shed uh, where the, or this garage where the Ford was being stored there, uh, had big old, old time, you know, solid oak doors, and I mean, they were heavy. And they were kind of dilapidated and falling down a little bit, you know, just kind of old, and the hinges weren't perfect, you know, that sort of thing. And, um, you know, when he, when he opened the doors, he had to lift them up because they would drag on the concrete. And when he opened them up all the way, then they were kind of really on the concrete. So no wind or anything like that could move these doors unless you physically really lifted up the door, so he had to be fairly strong for that. And I was standing there one day, my grandfather and, and my, uh, my my uncle had opened the, the doors to the to the uh, where the Ford was at in the garage, and and they were all resting on the concrete, and, and that, the doors in the bottom would actually scrape the concrete and left marks because they were so heavy. And uh, he got in there and fired the old Ford up and all that after about 20 minutes, and and he was inside the car still, and both doors just slammed shut, you know. And he came out the side door looking right as a ghost. <laughs> he knew, and even I knew, being young. I'm like, man, there's no wind, that's nothing. That, that was something that was definitely not Mother Nature there. It was undeniable. And, and my grandfather, you know, always had his, his friend Joy car there, and nobody touched it. Anybody messed with that car? You're doing with him, and he meant it. And so I always remember that. I mean, it was unexplainable how these doors could just, you know, fling shut without lifting them up and stuff. And so, yeah, that that's pretty much what what I saw when I was young and, and witnessed. And then when my when my grandmother passed, there also was an episode with her where we were sitting in the living room talking about grandma, kind of reminiscing about some times. It wasn't too long after her death, actually, and. One of the quotes off the off the uh, the church had a, an old lazy boy chair in the house, and that quilt just flew off in the middle of the room. You don't you can't explain that, but when you see it, you know you're like, wow, you know. Did I lose you guys? I'm still here, brother. Yeah. So I mean, like I was saying, when things like that happen, it's just kind of it's a the mind awakener, it's just kind of, you know, you know, without, you know, seeing these fancy gadgets and, you know, ghost box and echo box and ghost applications and all that. If you let your, if you let your mind go and, and you observe things, you know, and you're present, then it's a whole different ball game out there. And, and I always I was just going to say, once you see something, I always say you can't unsee it. If, you know, I saw an aberration when I was younger. I've seen two full-bodied aberrations. And once you see that, at the end of the day, you can't unsee it. <laughs> you don't know why, <laughs> but it's just, it's there. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. It, it, you know, the paranormal, the supernatural is a wonderful place. You just have to be careful and, 
and observe it, you know, kindly and treat the afterlife, you know, and, and with respect and usually get that in, in return. Yeah, I think a lot of the stuff that we see now, like basically if you turn on your on your TV and you turn on Discovery Channel or any of those kind of channels, it's just filled with ghost stuff. And yeah. I think the majority of that I don't put much credence in because it seems like it's always the same formula. They go into the house and they set up all their fancy-looking equipment and they walk around jumping in imaginary stuff that nobody else can see or hear. And then at the end of the show, they play EVPs. And your standard EVP is something like, and then the guy will say, see, he said Mrs. Johnson. I heard that clearly. And they put little subtitles so you can see what the ghost is supposedly saying. But it doesn't sound anything like that. Now, I've heard evidence from actual people that do this for a living that I've been blessed to to know that don't have TV shows. They're not doing it for cameras. They're just out there doing the job. And I've heard real EVPs. And when you hear a real EVP, at least in my experience, there's no mistaking what is being said. It's not garbled nonsense. It's pretty damn clear most of the time when you get an actual EVP. So I don't put a whole lot of credence in a lot of the stuff that's on TV now because I think just like everything else, it, something gets popular and then a bunch of people jump on the bandwagon and they try to, to monetize it. They try to capitalize off of it and make some quick cash. Uh, you see that like with vampires with like the Twilight series and then every movie that came out for quite a long time was nothing but vampires. And it, it's always like that with every little fad that's happening. It, it's always everybody jumps on. And I think a, a lot of that has happened with a lot of the people that are on the TV shows now. Not saying that some of them aren't real because some of them very well me. I don't know these people. I'm not trying to say they're all fakes, but I've seen a lot of garbage that, that's on TV that is supposedly actual ghost hunts and everything like that that never happened. I mean, they have these specials all the time. Like every Halloween, they'll have a special, and every once in a while, you'll see stuff like that live exorcism thing they showed on TV. And you watch it, and you're like, what absolute garbage? What a waste of my night this has been, because there's absolutely nothing to see here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and they try to, you know, I don't understand how they can make every single week, every single filming, they get something. I mean, if you're lucky, you know, and you really want to see something, it seems like, you know, maybe four or five times in your life you get that absolute experience. But, wow, they get it every single week. It's it's amazing. <laughs> and, and the power they are so scared that it doesn't make sense why they're doing it in the first place. If you're that frightened of ghosts, why the hell are you a ghost hunter? It makes absolutely no sense. Why are you out there doing investigations if every time there's a bump you're going to jump like a little girl and scream? <laughs> yeah, I can hear that. Hey, I want to give a big shout-out um, to Jeffrey Hill and Monica Wilson. Uh, Monica Wilson, who is uh, Jeffrey Hill, is in chat under CERT, and Monica Wilson's blogged in and listening as well. They're king of really good people. Uh, been supportive with us and what we do. I just want to give them a big shout out. Um, people can, you know, go check them out. Jeffrey Hale and Monica Wilson, um, sir. And we want to thank them for tuning in today and for being in chat. Um, Jeffrey Hale went in there. Make sure we didn't have any uh, paranormal chat trolls. And to be honest, the chat uh, has been really good. We had good people in there, and, and, and so that's that's good. It's an amazing thing. Uh, the support we get. 
each day grows, and, and as we do more shows here, we'll continue to grow the support and our network of friends and authors and people that have, have done extremely well with Paranormal and continue to do well and, and good things. I also want to send a big shout-out uh, to Deborah from the Lavaca County Jail. She's an amazing lady. We'll be coming actually on our show soon here as I get in touch with her. Um, hint, hint, Kelly set that up for us. Um, we also, uh, Mike, we also have uh, Crystal Fleck, uh, mostly known for the way that she does her investigations. She stays there for a long period of time, you know, meaning days. Um, and i got to give her prompts for that because there have been some investigations. I didn't want to be in there for 15 minutes, let alone stand there and live there for a period of days. It's kind of creepy, and you got to really, I don't know. But we're going to hear from her uh, here shortly, and uh, we're waiting for her to call into the show and stuff and, and, and all that. So, that you know, we got a lot of things going on today. We're going to extend the show a little bit today. Um, and normally I kind of cut it off a little early, but for some reason we're on an amazing roll, and uh, we have people supporting us and listening today. And quite frankly, I've been a little rusty, Mike. And Mike, what did I say, Mike? You know, something keeps wanting call, wanting me to call you Mike. So from now on, um, I'm going to change your name to Mike, and you'll be forever known as Mike. I don't know why, but I've said, I have, I have said Mike four times today. I'm like, oh my gosh. Um, it's kind of like calling, it's kind of like calling Kelly Griffin, Jan, and Jan Kelly. What the hell? What gift? Yeah. It's like having three kids, Evan. It's exactly like having three kids. I go through all the names before I get the right one. <laughs> okay, I wanted to end up confusing <laughs> one for the other. Yeah. I, I wanted, oh my gosh. I, I wanted, I've done uh, that. Yeah, I wanted Mike, I'm, a.k.a. James, to tell us um, how we can get his books, how you can order his books and his new books, and where can we find those? Yes. Well, um, first of all, I want to put my, uh, Mike. I did it again. Sorry, James. I want to put James first <laughs> on, the, on the spot here. You know, I, I want to know how I can get a copy of his book so I can brag about it. And, you know, I've got, I have to be honest, I've got several hundred paranormal books now where the author signs it. And I'm, I got bragging rights, you see. Love to get a signed copy. <laughs> um, signed copies, you can send uh, 20 bucks per book. And what that is is the 15 that the book actually cost, and then just 5 bucks to, to ship it so I don't lose money. Um, 20 bucks to James Hershey, Jr., P.O. Box 489, Strasburg, Virginia, 22657. Um, that's the autograph copies. Just let me know what book you want autographed and who you want made it out to and everything, and I'll personally sign it and send it out to you. Um, if you don't want an autograph copy, they're available on Walmart.com, Books A Million, Barnes & Noble, um, all those bookstores. Uh, the best place, I think, to get it, obviously, is Amazon, because if you have a Kindle, all of my books right now are on sale for $0.99, cents, the Kindle versions. Wow. Um, the, pap- the paperback oh. version. Yeah, I did that because I, fi- I finished the Legion series, and I was all excited and happy. So I decided, what the hell, I'll have a sale. So I put a thing on sale for $0.99 cents for the Kindles. Um, the paperback version is around 15 bucks per book on Amazon. And the cool thing about it is they're on Prime. So if you order them, you can have them in a day or two. Um, and you get a little bit better price on Amazon than you get from a lot of the other stores. They're a little bit more pricey. Um, but they're available all over the place, basically. So any place you want to... 
whatever your favorite place to buy books, I guess you can you can at least get it on the website. Some stores carry them, some stores don't. It's up to the individual stores, uh, but they all have them definitely on their websites. And I would pick them up on Amazon is where I would buy them because, like I said, they're on Prime. You get them quick, and you know that they'll be there, and you get a little bit better deal on them. Oh, yeah, Amazon's the way to go. It's so great talking with you. Yeah, I had fun. Yeah, I want to say thank you to you guys for having me on. I love you, and I appreciate you. Yeah, no, we appreciate you coming on and sticking with us. I know I had to cancel a couple of shows and stuff, and you know, I just wanted to get back on track. But I'm pretty sure now that we're back on track. We got our new studio going live here soon on Spreaker. We'll be on iTunes and YouTube, and uh, so yeah, yeah YouTube. Really, Evan. <laughs> One small step at a time, one big loop, as they say. So I don't know who the hell said that. Neil Armstrong. And on YouTube, ever. Yeah, YouTube is fun. You'll like it. (laughs) Yeah, it's awesome. We just got to get Evan to get moving on that. (laughs) On demand. You don't understand. That man is on demand. (laughs) (laughs) Kelly, we need to get the two of them together on there. Yeah, rocking and rolling. Um, let's find out if uh, uh, Chris Fleck. Chris Fleck, are you in the studio now? Apparently not yet. So she said she'll be calling in. In the meantime, I guess we'll just have to keep talking for a little while. <laughs> yeah, I, Carissa and I are scheming. And I don't want to mm-hmm. say anything yet, but for the Texas people that follow Carissa, we are scheming big time, and we're going to do something fun and text it to people. So, um, <laughs> details <laughs> to come. <laughs> yes, details to come. That's cool. That's cool. So, I don't know where uh, Chris is at. She's going to be scheming if she doesn't get her dinner in the chat. I'm trying yeah, to talk right. to her because the last time we spoke, um, she was doing an investigation with Dave, Dave Spinks, and I started giving her a mini-read. Yeah. A mini-read for her. She's calling now. She's calling now. How uh, uh James, you don't have to leave here. You're more than welcome to stay in there and communicate when you have questions asked, and stuff, so it's all up to you, man. Nice. I was just speaking about a month, month and a half ago about Carissa making a movie, and I just noticed I think she put something on YouTube the other night. Yeah, that's cool. That was cool. cool. I was very happy to hear and see. So, And that was something I predicted almost two months ago. So that would be cool to see come to fruition. That rocks. That rocks. You know, while we're waiting for um, Chris also to get into um, tomorrow, don't miss it. We got Keith Linder Dees in Seattle. We also have David Owen coming on. And what we're going to talk about with David Owen, he did an Ouija board session that walked my world. I've had actual Ouija board sessions. But I'm going to tell you this one, well, I'm just going to leave it for the show, so you should keep on tuning in tomorrow. Uh, I mean, I saw an organ. You'll be on tomorrow? And I'm like, good God. But let's leave that for tomorrow's show. We'll talk about that a little bit more. So, Chris Flash is in too. Hey, Chris, uh, welcome to Beyond Paranormal Talk Radio. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Hi, hey, Chris. 
It's, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure having you on. I've been you, girl. I've been wanting to connect with you for a while now. You're such a busy lady. I I'm know. so proud of you and the work that you've been doing. Oh, I couldn't miss this, though. I'm so proud of you guys. <laughs> well, you know, you know what, Teresa, we, we're all haters, and, you know, it's, it's great to get together, you know, to send them a message that they're not important. We don't care what they do or say, and we have our own uh, paranormal journeys to, you know, to go through. So that's why I wanted to bring you on. It's, it shows paranormal support, paranormal unity, and it was, it's one of the reasons I wanted you on today, to let people know that, you know, we support you in what you do. I like the concepts of what you do. And, I, you know, I've been seeing, you know, gaining more popularity out there because of what you're doing, because you just persist and you continue, regardless of any derogatory crap that is out there, you rock it anyway. And you, you just, you rise up and above, and, and that's an amazing thing. Um, Thank you. I want to talk to you a little bit about the demons in Seattle case because we are going to have Keith Bender on tomorrow. He's going to yeah. come on. And I, I want to ask you, because I've never really had a chance to really ask you about the demons in Seattle case. Now, the demons in Seattle case, when you were called, how did that all transpire? How did you, how did you make contact with Keith Linder? Uh Well, my partner and good friend Nikki Novell actually reached out to me after she was contacted by a mutual friend about this case and she had been watching the cameras and experienced some strange things so she called me in because of my work and what I do which is I move into cases for extended periods of time to document the hauntings and um you know I got in touch with Keith I had seen the Ghost Adventures episode like everyone else had and I knew it was controversial and all that but I talked to him, and he sounded sincere and actually scared. I started watching the cameras alongside Nikki when I had the spare time to do so, and I saw some things that caught my interest. Um, you yeah. know, it's well known that we caught an apparition on video and some other things. I started interviewing other teams that had been there, and their experiences had all been extreme. And that's when Keith had asked me if I would mind coming out there for a few weeks to document the haunting, and I jumped on the opportunity to do so. Very cool. And how many days did you stay there at that place? I stayed there three weeks. Um, the first few days, the team from the U.K. was there, and they left, and then Nikki came in the second week, and then I finished up a week there by myself. And what what was your feeling when you got there? I mean, what what were you expecting, or what happened, you know, when you were – so I imagine you got there and you talked to Keith and everything – did you set up a bunch of equipment, or did you just go in on your own intuitions and stuff? You know, what I first like to do when I'm staying in a case and documenting for an extended period of time is I really like to go in and just get a general feel for what I'm dealing with before I take out the equipment. I might get yeah. an audio recorder or a camera here and there, but for the first half a week or a week, depending on how long, I really like to just observe. I like to... You know, I guess it's a psychological, like, psychology background that I have. I like to observe the client. I like to observe the location and just see what I can experience firsthand. Um, I will tell you, demons in Seattle, the first time I walked into the house, you know, I was sitting on the sofa. I got up, and about five minutes later, out of the corner of my eye, I saw my phone be picked up and do a cartwheel. 
And there was nobody around it at the time? No, there was no one near the phone. Um, that's the first thing that caught my interest on that case. You know, for the first few days, I didn't get any EVPs. But by day three or day four, I got a pretty insane EVP. Um, it's clear wow. as day. It's almost like screaming at me. And it was a male's voice. I was the only one in the house at the time. And what, what's the background? What's the story of that house? Why is there something there? What What's the story behind all that? You know, you can never know for sure why a house is being haunted or why a certain person seems to trigger out the activity. But from the research that the U.K. team gathered in Keith, because they were there the first week, it seems to stem across the land. Um, there used to be a log cabin on that land. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be where the activity comes from, but can I be sure? No, it's also Native American ground. And then I also believe that Keith, to some point or another, has some sort of abilities. So he's like a magnet as himself. Well, I got disconnected for a second, Carissa, but I want—I don't know if you've answered this question already, but why is it named the Horsefly Chronicles? What, what is, is there significance no. to that? Yes, um, the Horsefly Chronicles is named the way it is because it tends to have a horsefly. A horsefly is always around, and it's creepy. You know, he's been in my house, and in the middle of winter, a fly will appear, a big fly. And Chronicles, because it just seems to never be ending. We've tried to have deliverances. We've had priests. We've had well-known members of the paranormal community. It just makes it worse. So the more activity paranormal-wise, the more activity people have came in to, to find out what's there. So it's really escalating, or or is it just kind of, you know, is it residual or what? The horsefly house, that is just, it's out of control. I mean, the activity yeah. there is pretty extreme. It was yeah. always extreme, um, you know, but the more people that came in, Unfortunately, some people with bad intentions came into that case, and I feel that those people, without naming names, really made the case worse. Yeah. You know, I noticed after I had stepped away for a little bit and they came in, they really stirred the pot up and didn't, like, calm anything down. So activity has been more extreme. Right. Right, and that happens a lot. You know, when, you know, it, it, and again... This goes to be very careful who you bring into your house. You know, you've got to be very careful who you have coming in. And, you know, a lot of people have attachments that they don't know about even. So there's a lot of dangers that are involved. And, and, you know, and again, you know, stay in there now. Stay in there for the period of of time. Did you notice any backlash from it? Anything happening to you? Oh, yeah. I, that case has changed my life dramatically, and I tell people that's how you know you're dealing with a demonic haunting. Is it targets your life in every single direction that you it possibly can, and you have to be a strong person to get through that. Yeah, you do because the demonic affects people in many different ways. It affects you spiritually. It goes after your mind emotionally and physically. Yes, it goes after your mind a lot. I've noticed that. You know, I've never had problems with depression or anxiety, but the longer I'm in the case, the more it takes a toll, and that's to be expected. And you are a strong person, Carissa, because of what you've been through. Um, Thank you. you know, with, with the public and some of the people that are jealous. But 
have you ever, we've been talking about this recently, um, Evan and Jan and I and some other people, how a lot of the, the living people out there really resemble um, mm-hmm. a demonic energy. You know, it's almost like we've, I've stated before, you know, with the people that act ugly and try to attack us, um, it's yeah. almost like you, you're dealing with certain things where you want to just not give it too much energy and stay positive and move on. Have you seen any similarities between <laughs> between that? I think they're worse than demonic entities. You know, I've dealt with both. I've dealt <laughs> with people and I've dealt with the demonic entities. And I'm telling you, put me in a building any day, all day by myself with, you know, some supposed little demon not demonic enemies and I'm fine. <laughs> you put me in a room full of people and I'm just like scared. And well, it's sometimes, sad that it gets to that point. Some, sometimes the living is a lot more difficult than the dead. And yeah, I can understand bad. the dead. I can't understand the living. Uh uh-huh. I said I can understand the dead. I can't understand the living. They're just crazy. Yeah, yeah sometimes it's difficult to, to to really know, you know, where these people are coming from or and again, the the demonic, you know, it's it's a good fight. It's, it's good versus evil, and evil evil forces out there that you cannot comprehend or begin to even think. I mean, imagine this. Let's say you come across something that is evil and demonic. You know, demons have other demons. They have legions of demons. So you're not dealing with just one evil force. You're possibly dealing with maybe hundreds of thousands. I mean, true fact. You know, demons don't just attack you singly. They have their own, they yeah. have their own army, and people don't understand just how uh, they, uh, you know, how the demonic works. So, you know, with that said, just you just have to really watch what you're doing and be as careful as you can. Because when, when when you're out there doing these things, you're putting, you know, as I said, you're putting your ass on the line, mm-hmm. and. You know there could be some very serious repercussions, and and I mean I see these re- paranormal research groups that are bringing ten-year-old children in, and I just yeah I'm not for it. I, I just think it's a bad bad idea, and it may be all fun and games, but it only takes that one time to get demonically oppressed. Uh, well, I mean know, I've I'm, never went looking for the darker cases. That was never my goal in the field. You know, it yeah. found me. It found me, it took me by surprise, and it totally changed my life. Some for the good, some for the worse. But, yeah. you know, I never was one of the people that went out and looked for it. I didn't want to deal with it. I was scared of it, and I just didn't even want to comprehend that evil existed on the level that I've experienced it. And whether you're looking for it or not, Carissa, it can find you. I mean, you don't have yeah, to be can. in the field that we're in. I, jails are filled with pe- prisons yeah. are filled with people who... Do they have attacked? But do you do anything to protect yourself before you go in? And afterwards, of course. you know, cleansing um, and you know, you and... have to. It's a lot of praying for me. It's been a spiritual journey. I feel that everyone has to do things that work for them when it comes to protection, though, because what may work for me won't work for others. And it's really about what you personally believe in. I believe in God, and I use that to help me. I'm not there yeah. to remove demonic entities. You know, I will not go down that road, at least at this point in my life, because I've been a part of exorcisms, I've been a part of deliverances, and the backlash that you get from it is insane. Yeah, there can definitely be backlash and stuff. So what? what is your next, 
What is your next journey you're, you, that you're going to undertake here, Carissa? <laughs> well, I never know where I'm going to end up. Um, you know, I know that you guys have been following me. We've been friends for a while, and I'm just all over the place. I've been going to different locations, different states, getting to travel the country. It's been amazing and awesome experience. I love meeting everyone. Um, you know, I have a case out in Canada that I've been working on that's a little bit darker. I have a couple web series under the work and some things that I can't talk about, but it's... Well, I see you doing a movie. Hello? Yes, the documentary. Oh, sorry, I didn't know if it cut out. I, I told Noreen a few months back that I had actually had seen you um, doing casting and something to do with movies and production. And she said, really? And I was like, yeah, that's what I see. And then last night, lo and behold, on YouTube was your casting call. So that was fantastic to see. (laughs) Yeah, it's been, you know, I mean, I can't talk about that. but That's okay. It's been been crazy. I mean, I'm not complaining. I love every second of it. You know, I really like getting out there more and being able to meet more people and Mm -hmm. meet help more people, because that, at the end of the day, is what it's about. It's about staying humble and just helping people and helping spirits. And I think a lot of people lose, I think a lot of people lose track of why they got into the field, and I refuse to do that. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes people just get caught up in the whole limelight and the attention, and look, I got an EVP, just like Kelly was saying, it's like week to week, back to back, they're getting all these EVPs, but in reality, when you're doing the real work, you're not getting them all the time. It just you know, some cases you go to, it works, and other times you get nothing. So yep. it's about being honest and having integrity when doing this work. Exactly. It's not about fame. And not for me, at least. I mean, do I enjoy getting to travel and meet new people? Yeah. Well, of course. I really do. But at the end of the day, it goes so much deeper than that. I'm so passionate about what I do, and I really like to put my all into it because I think as a field, this field has forgotten that, the only way we're going to expand our knowledge is to push the envelope and push the bar and keep pushing forward. Mm-hmm. And, Carissa, what, what's your favorite story that you have? I mean, everyone has something that brought them into this in the beginning or, you know, that pull that you have or reason you're here doing what you do. Is there a, a story that you have that brought you here? or? Yeah. Um, you know, my whole life I've been able to see and hear things that not everyone else could. I always questioned if I was a little crazy. I tried to block it out as much as I possibly could. Um, You know, I moved into a farmhouse from the 1700s. I started experiencing things I couldn't deny anymore. And that's when I linked up with the team. Only three cases in, I was at the Horsefly Chronicles house, and that's when that local team broke apart, and I ended up moving into the Horsefly house for four months. So that was your first um, real experience with with the investigation with investigating. I mean, I had done a couple cases previous to that, but nothing major. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, right. that case was really the one that opened up my eyes and kind of just put me on the path I've been on. Well, we've really enjoyed watching you and following you, and I hope you make it to Texas. I think we can do something fun. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I, I actually will be there in June. Um, you know, it's pretty awesome. crazy that my schedule is filled up till June. I, I still can't get over it. It's insane how life works out. That's wonderful. That's so great. where in Canada are you? Are you in the West Coast? I'm going to be going to Canada. Um, I have to find a block of time that I have available. You know, 
as much events and all of that is good and everything, it's still about helping people. And mm-hmm. when clients reach out to me, I need to make my way over there if it's extreme enough. And so I will be going to Canada. Um, it is in a little farmhouse in the middle of nowhere, Canada. <laughs> so I'm sure it will creep me out. But that's okay. It's about helping people and trying to give them answers and hope. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Do you have a team that you <clears throat> work with consistently, or do you work with different people? I work with the Pickmans from the Sally House on Survivors of the Dark, which we counsel people that have survived demonic hauntings, because I personally feel that once you go through something like that, your life is different, and they mm-hmm. feel the same way. So we just work on counseling people. I work on Sleepless Nights Paranormal with my good friend and good medium, April Feast, and Nicole Nobel, who's a fellow investigator. Um, that's who I do the extended case period of time living in them. And then I work with a bunch of local teams still. That's wonderful. Well, I, I can't wait to see what you do next. You have just <laughs> done some incredible work and made us proud, you know, especially Thank as, you so as much. women, as investigators, as people are watching. We're just really, really proud of you, and I can't wait to see what you do next. You know, that's I right. think that's kind of something else <laughs> that I try to do. That's I try to give women the tools to succeed in this field and to be on equal playing fields with men because I think that we are. Yes, we are. We've experienced things. Um, and a lot of time I think women are actually more sensitive. I mean, I've, I've, yes. dealt, with an, I've dealt with an energy since I was a child, um, kind of like James was talking about. You know, it just it never, 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 never goes away and we coexist now. But I, you know, I had to go through a lot of, um, you know, mental rigor, um, spirituality and prayer and, and really get away, to get away from that. You know, now it's just a coexistence, I believe, just like good and evil. I mean, I'm not going to try to overpower it. Hopefully it never tries to overpower me, but it, it can be a scary place. And I think that women especially um, pick up on that. I agree. Yeah. Well, look, everybody, um, I'm going to cut this uh, off here in a few few minutes, and I want to say thank you to everybody that tuned in today, and thank you to Chris Supply for coming in and joining us the last little part of the show here, and thanks to Monica Wilson, Jeffrey Hill, Joni Mitchell, James Hershey, Jr., and uh, also I want to say a special thanks to... Jen Reynolds and Kelly Griffin for making this show complete. Mm-hmm. And you guys, we will be back here tomorrow where we interview David Ullman and Keith Linder, uh, 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Uh, we may be going live on Spreaker for the first time, um, but if not, we'll be back here on Talk to um, Live and uh, look forward to that. And with that, I want to say a big, huge shout-out to Marie Scundry today for getting um, Speaker Studio set up and, and the LinkedIn cable and, and so forth, and sound and audio is at a max. It is absolutely stunning now. So with that, I want to say thanks again to everybody for tuning in to Beyond Reality Paranormal Talk Radio. Um, and with that, you guys, we'll see you same time here, 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Um, in the east, I do believe that is what? Is that 5 6 p.m., Kelly? 6 p.m. 6 p.m. All yeah, right. 5 p.m. Texas time. 
All right. With that said, everybody, I want to say thanks, and thank you again, Krista, for coming on. and Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's always a pleasure to have you all on, and we'll get that listening link up and, and downloaded. And I'm also going to be downloading today's show to Spreaker so they can hear it, you know, with a, uh, with a little easier listening link. So um, with that said, everybody, be well. God bless. Stay safe out there. Have fun in what you're doing. Continue forward. If you have haters, set them aside. They're not important. And oh, no, carry on in what you're doing. <laughs> Don't worry about it. I just said don't worry about the haters. You guys can still speed with them. Yeah, just, you know what, work with your love and light. You're so much more than that. You're a beautiful being. Exactly. With that said, everybody, I want to say thanks. And, Jen, thank you again for coming on as well. With that, I want to also thank Deborah Fawcett for hanging in there with us on the show today. And we'll be interviewing her shortly uh, as well. So stay tuned. Some of the talent we have lined up is amazing. I also want to mention a woman we're having on next month. <laughs> Excuse me. The first, uh, the first, uh, I think it is Monday of next month. Her story is an amazing story where she was fighting depression and, and mental illness and things like that, and she called 911 for help. They in turn shot her in the face with a 45 caliber weapon, and she survived. And she wrote a book to tell her story, and we will be hearing that live the first week of next week. With that said, everybody, stay, stay well, be kind to each other, enjoy Paranormal Unity, and enjoy what you do. I'm Evan Jensen. This is Beyond Paranormal, Beyond Reality, I should say, Paranormal Talk Radio. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night. Bye-bye. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. All right, be well. <laughs>